it, it's condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I wanted to take the opportunity to reflect on my relatively short career as a performer and to walk through some of the things I feel were instrumental, no pun intended, into transforming me into the musician that I am today. I'm sure a lot of people listening already know about many of the successes I've experienced as a trumpet player, as reading my biography at a concert would tell you everything you would need to know. So, in addition to highlighting some of the good things that have happened along the way, I would like to also highlight some of the bad things that have happened to me as well. Times that I put myself out there and it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. I think it's very easy to see someone who has had success and think everything has always worked out for them. I know for myself, I used to look at Chris Martin, now principal trumpet of the New York Philharmonic, and think, man, that guy has just won everything he's ever done. That must be nice. But I'm sure like everyone, he would have quite a few stories of how things didn't pan out the way he had hoped. I think for all the good social media has done in our culture, it has definitely influenced this topic in quite a negative way. On my Instagram, my homepage is filled with people lifting insane amounts of weight, while it feels like I'm stuck lifting the same weight for months on end. It feels demoralizing, like I'm not good enough, or that I'll never be as awesome as those people. But they struggle at times just like I do, I just don't know about it. Finally, I'd like to tell a few stories that I think are funny and interesting, but they're stories that taught me some very valuable lessons as well. Some of the stories seem ridiculous, but they actually brought me to a conclusion that led to very purposeful changes in the way I see music, performing, and how I should carry myself. I hope anyone listening can find some entertainment in this episode, but also some comfort that at least one person has experienced some success, had to mess up quite a bit to earn it. The title of this episode is The Good, The Bad, and Things I Learned the Hard Way. When I was in high school, I was pretty set on going to Hastings College in Hastings, Nebraska. I had gotten to know Dan Schmidt, the trumpet professor there, and I thought he would be a great fit for me. So I went and auditioned for him, and I was lucky enough to get the maximum scholarship they were able to give a player. Unfortunately, it didn't really come close to covering the overall costs of the school, so it was decided that I wouldn't attend that school after all. I wasn't sure where I was going to go after that, as all of the plans I had made involved Hastings College. Around that same time, Mike Thompson, owner of Thompson Music located in Omaha, Nebraska, asked me if he could give my information to his good friend Michael Anderson. I had purchased a Monet C trumpet from Thompson, and I had gotten to know him a little bit. 
I got in contact with Michael Anderson, who taught trumpet at Oklahoma City University, and I went and auditioned for him in April of 2006, just before I graduated high school. Even though it wasn't what I had originally planned for, I believe OCU was absolutely the right fit for me as a student. From the beginning of my freshman year, I was in almost every ensemble I could be in. Band and or orchestra, depending on how the chair placement auditions turned out, jazz band, pit orchestra when it was happening, brass quintet, and brass ensemble. I was playing so much, I remember one particular day, I had a brass quintet rehearsal in the morning, then an orchestra rehearsal in the afternoon, followed immediately by a jazz band rehearsal. That night, we had a quintet concert, and as you can imagine, by that point, my chops were fried. The last piece of the program for us was an arrangement of the 12th Street Rag. The other trumpeter, my dear friend Tomasz Dombrowski, and I thought it would be a great idea to add in some shakes where they didn't belong. We thought it would really add to the performance, but we were so tired, they just sounded horrible. Upon listening to the recording with Professor Anderson, he commented, That sounds like the musical equivalent to throwing up. We wholeheartedly agreed. My junior and senior years were the years that I really started to have more success in competition. I got second place at the National Trumpet Competition in 2009, which was my first big success during school. Funny story, though. Because I was very good at procrastinating, I waited until the very last day to postmark my recording and send it in. I got to the post office around 4.30, and lucky for me, the person picking up the mail was late. Normally, they pick it up at 4, but because of their tardiness, my recording was taken that day. As I mentioned, I ended up getting second, which is great, but it's also humbling to be reminded that my inability to do things on time almost cost me one of my first and most memorable successes. My senior year, I was fortunate enough to win the Oklahoma Community Orchestra Solo Competition, performing the Tomasi Trumpet Concerto with them. This was my first opportunity to stand in front of an orchestra and play a piece of music, let alone a major work for my instrument. My senior recital is also something that I would consider to be a major success during my time at OCU. I played the Haydn Concerto, the Burma Concerto, the Tomasi Concerto, and, I remember, an unaccompanied jazz solo by Dana Wilson. Not only did I play all of this repertoire but I also did it memorized. On top of that, I didn't know I remember before I started working on it for this recital, so I learned it and I memorized it in 10 days. I worked a lot of long, boring hours to pull that off, and it went really well. Also during my junior year, a new grad student named Mason Tyler asked me if I was going to audition for any summer festivals. I had no idea what he was talking about. Mason opened up my eyes to festivals like Tanglewood in the Berkshires, Music Academy of the West in Santa Barbara, the National Orchestral Institute in Maryland, and the National Repertoire Orchestra in Breckenridge. I was able to get into Tanglewood and NOI my senior year, both of which were transformative experiences for me. 
I was surrounded by people from huge schools. They seemed so amazing, and I really didn't feel like I belonged. Finally, most people know I was able to get into Northwestern for graduate school, where I ended up attending. But I don't think it's as well known that a week prior to finding out about Northwestern, I was invited to audition for a job with the Hellcats, a bugle corps in West Point, New York. It was only an invitation to audition, but because the group was going to pay for my travel, I felt it was right for me to make a decision about whether or not I would go to Northwestern so I could tell them I would or would not attend the audition. Ultimately, I felt it was right for me to go to school, so I turned down the audition opportunity. At Northwestern, my career really started to feel like it was taking off. The biggest success I experienced would certainly be winning the job as principal trumpet with the Indianapolis Symphony. I also won the 2012 Ellsworth Smith competition, the biggest trumpet competition in the United States, just after I graduated. The summer after my first year of grad school, I won both the solo and excerpt competitions at the 2011 International Trumpet Guild Conference in Minneapolis, Minnesota. From what I understand, I was the second person ever to do that. So it felt like a pretty great accomplishment as well. That's a fairly exhaustive list of, quote, the good in my performing career, just in case anyone listening doesn't know me that well. While I have had a lot of great things happen to me, I think it's time we find out about some of the times that didn't work out quite as well. Brian Shaw, four-time World's Strongest Man, has his own podcast that I've listened to a few times. On his very first episode, he and his guests were talking about times that their performance in a strongman competition didn't go as well as they wanted it to. Brian told a story of one particular experience in the 2010 World's Strongest Man finals. It was a sandbag loading event. I've watched the video, and it's pretty incredible to watch. They had to run 50 feet, pick up a sandbag from the ground weighing 265 pounds, and carry it back as fast as they could and load it onto a platform about four feet high off the ground. After that, they had to do that two more times to load a total of three sandbags on the platform. If that doesn't sound like enough... They had to walk in about two feet of water while doing it. It's pretty ridiculous. At any rate, Brian Shaw's performance on that event was amazing. He loaded all three bags faster than anyone and removed his hands quickly after placing the third bag to stop the time for that event. Unfortunately, because he was moving so quickly, the bag wasn't secure, and when he removed his hands, the bag fell back into the water. He got the bag up onto the platform again, but the extra time moved him from a first-place finish to a third-place finish. While one event may not make or break an athlete's final placing, that year Brian got second place, losing by just half a point. He should have won his first World's Strongest Man title that year, but instead he went home with nothing. Now, he currently has four World's Strongest Man titles, which is amazing. 
There are not many athletes that can say that. But there's only one person who has won five World's Strongest Man titles to this day. Brian could have been one of two athletes, but that one tiny mistake cost him. I only relay the story because on that podcast, the way Brian tells it, that mistake was an important mistake for him to make. He won the 2011 World's Strongest Man, and he thinks it's because he was fueled by that mistake to cover every detail possible in his training. It's likely that the huge amount of success he's experienced since 2010 came as a result of the decisions he made to make sure mistakes like that don't happen again. I'm not saying I have any experience that's close to on the same level as that story, but I thought I would tell it to show that guys at the highest level in every discipline have stories about how failure taught them things and motivated them to become the success that they are today. I may have won the Ellsworth Smith competition, become the second person to win the solo and orchestral competitions at the ITG conference, but those competitions came at the end of a long string of competitions that I didn't win or that I didn't even come close to placing at. I tried out for NTC a total of four times, only getting in the one time that I got second place. I tried out for the Oklahoma Community Orchestra Solo Competition the year before I won it, and I actually embarrassed myself. They had a list of preferences for the type of work to be performed, as well as the length they wanted the work to be. I didn't read any of that, so I went in and I played the two-minute-long first movement of the Fosh Piccolo Trumpet Concerto. I was in and out in a flash, and I found out later that everybody else who competed had been playing multiple movements of major concertos, playing for 10 or 15 minutes total. I probably should have just read the rules. One of those times that I sent in for NTC, I had a great recording, but that year they changed part of the rules, and you had to send in your piano music along with your CD recording. I didn't read that part, and I was disqualified from entering that year. There was a competition called Crescendo in Oklahoma that I competed in three times, never advancing past the first round. I kept getting beat by woodwinds and Oklahoma State trombone players. <laughs> I entered the Nafsker competition in Wichita, Kansas, where the judge, who listened to me in the first round, said, I don't know how this will turn out, but I enjoyed your playing. You have my respect. That was really cool to hear, but it didn't look like it was enough to advance me. Finally, during my time at OCU, I applied for the ITG solo competition in 2010 during my senior year, the year before I won both competitions. I played Rustiques during my junior recital, and I saw that someone had played Rustiques in the 2009 ITG solo competition, so I thought I would just send in my recording from my junior recital. But because I didn't read the rules closely enough, I didn't see that they required a recording of a major work, and Rustiques doesn't really count as a major work. I think you might be starting to see a trend for me during that time. During my time at Northwestern, I think the easiest thing to dig into are all of the auditions I took. Sure, I won Principal Trumpet in Indianapolis, but how about all the auditions I took before that during my time there? 
In the two years I had at Northwestern, I took auditions for San Francisco Third Trumpet, National Symphony Principal Trumpet, Los Angeles Philharmonic Principal Trumpet, St. Louis Utility Trumpet two separate times, St. Louis Principal Trumpet, Detroit Principal Trumpet, and Charlotte Symphony Principal Trumpet. While I advanced at some of these, my track record still to this day, after 20 or so auditions, is more often than not, I tend not to advance. Each one of these, quote, failures taught me something incredibly valuable, whether I learned I needed to be more detailed with my preparation, or I simply just got more experience doing competitions and auditions. Those examples of putting myself out there and learning how to improve were necessary steps in achieving whatever amount of success I have now. I know many people look back at negative events in their life and wish they could change them to a more positive outcome, but I wouldn't change a thing. Growth of all types is painful, and the more painful it is, the more profound the growth can be. So we've covered the good and the bad. Now we get to cover the things that I learned the hard way. These stories make me laugh now, but I feel they are also important for the lessons I learned from them. In general, I'm a person that doesn't get very nervous for concerts and other performing opportunities. I don't really take myself seriously enough to put that kind of pressure on myself. But while some people look at my relaxed personality and think that's just how I am, I actually have a pretty funny story that led me to understanding that I perform best when I'm relaxed and focused on the music. At Northwestern, grad students had to play two recitals during their time to fulfill that part of their requirement to graduate. Most people just played one recital their first year and one recital their second year. Not me. I was really lazy, and I put it off, so my solution was a little different. I was set to graduate on June seventeenth, two 2012, so I played by two recitals on back-to-back days, June 12th and June 13th, the same week of graduation. I had already played my trial weeks with Indianapolis, so I felt that people were going to expect to hear some amazing trumpet playing from me, far better than I was actually able to play. Putting this kind of pressure on myself led me to becoming very nervous. I was worried I wasn't going to live up to the expectation that I felt other people must have of me now that I've played with a big orchestra. I started the first recital with the Telemann Concerto in D major. I had struggled with the first movement in practice, so with the addition of the nerves, you can imagine how it went. It wasn't very pretty. I remember I couldn't stop my leg from shaking. Because I never really experienced much performance anxiety, I was also worried about how I was going to stop it. I finished the telemon and went off stage, grabbed my E-flat trumpet, and returned to the stage to get ready to play the Haydn Trumpet Concerto. I generally talk in between pieces at recitals because I feel it helps me keep calm and relaxed, so I welcomed everyone before starting. As I was talking, I started looking around and I couldn't find my parents. 
They had driven 10 hours from Lincoln, Nebraska to be at my recital, so I was surprised that they weren't there in the audience. I stopped talking about the Haydn, and I said, are my parents out there? No one could answer that, because of course, no one knew who my parents were. But Barbara Butler, my teacher, said, give me her number, and I'll call her and see what's going on. I gave her my mom's phone number, and Barbara left the room to call my mom. So now both my parents and my teacher were gone, so I definitely couldn't start playing the next piece on my recital. So I did the only thing I knew how to do. I started telling jokes. <laughs> Pretty bad ones, too. Jokes like, a hamburger walked into a bar and the bartender said, sorry, we don't serve food here. <laughs> As I'm telling these jokes, Barbara opens the door and says, Charlie, I need your help. She was talking to Charlie Geyer, the other trumpet professor at Northwestern. At this point, Everything was going off the rails, so my accompanist saved me by saying, Do you just want to go off stage? That was basically the best idea ever, so I left. Eventually, my parents figured it out, and everyone got to my recital, and I started playing the Haydn. And you know what? I just wasn't nervous anymore. That event was such a fiasco that I couldn't take myself seriously anymore. And it helped. I learned from that ridiculous story that I have to take myself out of the equation in order to perform my best. Just focus on the music and the audience. Another great story of me just being green and needing to learn a lot was my junior recital at OCU. I mentioned how my senior recital was something I considered to be a big success. Well, let me tell you about my junior recital. The program was the Fosh Concerto, the Hindemith Concerto, Rustiques by Boza, Animal Ditties, a piece for trumpet and spoken voice by Tony Plogue, and the program ended with the Bach Vivaldi Concerto arranged for brass quintet. This recital was my first time performing a big program all on my own like this, and it had its fair share of hiccups. First off, after I finished the Fosh, I went off stage and grabbed my sea trumpet to get ready to play the Hindemith. Usually, people spend a small amount of time off stage making sure they're ready to perform the next piece, so I thought I would do the same. I waited about a minute and then walked back on stage to play the Hindemith. I didn't play any notes on the bigger trumpet, so I missed the first three notes of the piece quite badly. <laughs> I mean, really badly. I found out later that although I thought I spent about a minute off stage, my sense of time was apparently skewed in that I spent at most 10 seconds off stage before I came back on. I learned to try and slow things down from that experience. When I got to Animal Ditties, the final movement had a more jazz-like section with a Harmon mute, so instead of putting my Harmon mute in my bell like a normal person, I decided I would just put it in a different trumpet and then switch trumpets when I got to that section. That's a really great plan, unless you leave your second horn off stage, which I did. So, after the third movement, I had to excuse myself to go get my horn and then resume the piece, which felt pretty awkward. <laughs> and to top off the whole experience, 
I had left my music for the Bach Vivaldi piece in my locker, which was on the floor below the hall I was playing in. So I went off stage after Animal Ditties and ran downstairs to my locker. No one knew I was doing this. I was just hoping to be fast enough to make it seem like everything was fine. Unfortunately, the lock on my locker broke at that exact time. And my music was stuck in my locker, which I could not open. So I walked back to the hall. I walked on stage and I explained the situation to the audience and then said, so that's the end of my recital. (laughs) That's how that comedy of errors ended. It took me a long time to get a hold of this idea, but I was just really bad at taking care of business. I didn't think ahead and I got burned by it often. The last story I'll tell is a story about my greatest misnote I've ever had in a concert. This miss is actually very important to me, as it helped my playing get back on track from a rut I felt I had gotten into. The music director in Indianapolis spoke in very technical terms when giving me instruction. He would always say, This note should be shorter, or this note should be softer. That's pretty normal, but because I was trying so hard to make him happy and get tenure, my entire playing concept started to become more like that, instead of just thinking of the sound I wanted. After some time, things became harder for me. My high range wore me out faster, I didn't have as much flexibility, and things just didn't feel as easy as they had felt before. It all culminated in April of 2014, when we were playing Quiet City on a concert program. While I was playing the Friday night show, things were going well, but nothing felt good. The climax of the piece has a phrase in the trumpet part that repeats itself three times, each phrase ending on a high B-flat. The last one has the trumpet ringing out by itself for a couple of seconds before the cellos join back in. When I was performing it, the first time through didn't feel great. And after the second time I played the phrase, I remember thinking, I wonder what's going to happen the last time I play this. Well, the third time I played it, the time where everyone cuts out and the trumpet is left all on its own, nothing came out of my instrument. There was a tiny squeak, and as I tried to force anything to come out, nothing did. It was beyond embarrassing. I went backstage and I talked to the bass trombone player, Jared Roden. I told him what happened as he wasn't playing on that piece. He told me something Michael Mulcahy, second trombone in the Chicago Symphony, told him. When Jared tells this story, he can do a great Australian accent. I can't do that, so I'll tell this quote, but I'll sound like me. He said, I'm an average trombone player with world-class air. Something close to that. I realized in that moment that I had somehow forgotten to just take a great breath and play what I hear in my head. My entire education had been focused on that, and I just forgot to do it for eight months. The next night, I focused on trying to take a great breath and play a beautiful sound, and that section was significantly better, and it felt easier. 
I've never forgotten that moment, and I tell this story all the time to show that even people with jobs who seem like they might have it all figured out struggle and learn lessons too. Hopefully, this episode has shown that the road to success is rarely a straight line, and it is often filled with bumps and bruises along the way. But if someone like me can eventually learn from his mistakes, stay consistent, and experience some success, then anyone can. If you'd like to find me, you can do so on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search at That's Not Spit. I'd also like to thank Brandon Yoakum and his band Ivy Garden for allowing me to use their song Kalem in this episode. Unfortunately, the band is now defunct, so they're not performing anymore, but I think you can find their music on SoundCloud still, so maybe just Google search them and you might be able to find it. I'd also like to thank Brandon for his work on mastering this episode as well. I think that's it for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody, for listening.